We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest today, Gus Saltonstall. What's up, guys? What's up, man? Thank you guys for having me today, and I'm excited to be here. Well, Gus is breaking his OTG podcast virginity. We promise we'll be, <laughs> we'll be nice. We'll be nice, Gus. We'll be gentle. We'll yeah, be hopefully, nice, hopefully nice it's not too can. fast. Yeah. <laughs> for a Celtics guy. But uh, before we get started, a quick reminder, you can check us out iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube, and NetsRepublic.com. As you guys and girls have known, we've been breaking down the Nets versus their division foes. Today is the Boston Celtics, and we're going to start off with the guards like we have on every show. And for the Nets side, obviously, we got Kyrie Irving, Karis Avert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, Theo Pinson, David Nawaba, and Joe Harris is kind of that tweener. Gus, who do we have on the Celtics side? For the Celtics, we got newly acquired Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Carson Edwards, Brad Wanamaker, and two-way player Tremont Waters. And then I guess there's some debate over how we are going to rank Jalen Brown, Tatum, and Hayward. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're putting Jalen Brown and Hayward, guys who can play the, the shooting guard position pretty capably, uh, but can also play up a position or two as well. But I think this is where, you know, we've spoken about it before. We spoke about it in the last buzz. This is where the Nets' strength lies, and there aren't many teams in the NBA that have a better guard rotation than the Nets. Um, the Celtics do match up nicely, and, you know, if you want to talk about guys that uh, have, you know, some depth in their positions, I like the sort of youngsters. Marcus Smart is probably one of the best guard defenders and guys who can play up a position, uh, play probably up to the four. Uh, you know, a guy who can defend so many different positions defensively, you know, quite easily the Boston Celtics probably have the nets in this. Uh, but talent alone, I think the Brooklyn Nets have the tick probably uh, not easily. Um, Boston Celtics are one of the few teams that actually have some depth in that position. And I like the sort of young guys in, in, in Carson Edwards who had a really good summer league. Uh, but I think the nets are just too good when it comes to their guard rotation. 
Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you look at it and you have Kyrie and then you have Karis LeVert and, you know, then it's very close, but then you throw in Spencer Dooney and I think that's what gives the Nets a real push over a lot of teams. I think you look at the Celtics side, there's a lot of talent, but there's also a lot of unknowns with a lot of the young guys coming in. Yeah, I think the trio that you guys have between Irving, Dinwiddie, and LeVert just way out-talents at that third spot where it's going to either be Carson Edwards as a rookie having to play big minutes and score the ball, or it's Brad Wanamaker who played eight minutes every game last year against the bench scrubs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Defensively, Marcus Smart, I would say, is the best within those six players, but um, NBA is a talent league and talent wins and rises to the top, so I do think the Nets... You touched on it a little bit, Gus. Do you see Jalen Brown playing minutes at the shooting guard position, or is he going to be playing more as a forward for next season? For me, one of my biggest critiques in watching the Celtics games over the past three years is Jalen Brown's inability to handle the ball and just the the turnovers, and he gets downhill and he kind of loses control. I'm actually looking more at kind of a Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum to handle the ball more than Brown and let Brown be that athletic forward, kind of getting up and down the court and not having to do too much, but make the open three. And stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too, because obviously Jalen Brown hasn't been an extremely good ball handler, and Jason Tatum's felt like a guy who's come to the league and has been comfortable with the ball. Obviously, he can still improve in that area. We'll get to Gordon Hayward with the next group, but I think he's going to be a huge X factor. So moving yeah. on to the forwards on the net side, obviously Kevin Durant's still injured. Mentioned Joe Harris is kind of that tweener. Torian Prince, uh, Rodion Scrooge, and Wilson Chandler. Gus, who we got for the Celtics in the forward spot? Um, well, we've got already mentioned Brown, Tatum, Hayward. Um, we've got Grant Williams as a rookie. we got Semi Ojale, the most brawlic man in the entire league. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Daniel Tice kind of falls in that four position. And then Javante Green, two-way player, shows some good things in summer league. He can dunk the ball. Um, so, yeah, those are forwards. <laughs> This is where the the Nets really lack that talent when we compare to a lot of other teams. You know, uh, I think that they have a lot of goodish guys, but the Celtics, you know, Tatum um, and and Brown alone are probably the the top two sort of guys, unless you're counting Carlos Levert as a as a small forward. Uh, and then Hayward, you know, we spoke about him on the NBA Outlet, Nick. You know, what version of Gordon Hayward do you get heading into next season? Now that he's had you know one year under his belt, does he get back to a, a former semblance of his former self that we saw in Utah, where he was? You know, one of the the best sort of guy, ball handling guys who could just do has a such a varied skill set. Um, but you know, this is where the Celtics guy get a big tick from me. What are you expecting from Gordon Hayward this year, Gus? Like, I think this is just like a lot of unknown when it comes to him because if he's healthy and good, that trio at forward, you know, Tatum Brown and Hayward is good as any trio out there in terms of three yeah. guys, not two. Um, I mean, throughout the course of last season, I grew to hate Gordon Hayward, <laughs> and I'm, ho- I'm hoping this season he kind of replenishes my faith in him. But what, Bre- what Stevens did with him a lot last year is he was the ball handler for the second unit, um, and he kind of handled the ball with the most concrete, uh, or the most just, you trust him the most with the ball in his hand, more than Brown and Tatum. So I think if those three are on the court, Hayward is going to get the majority of the touches, and that also gives him the majority of the pick and rolls and the majority to do the most. And I think he'll get that chance in the beginning of the season to kind of be that guy again. But I think we'll quickly move away from that if it shows that he just still is not that same player he was in Utah. I guess we should probably touch on a little bit the Team USA stuff for you, Gus. Um, how positive an effect do you think that will have on the likes of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and even Marcus Smart, who's there as well? Um, uh, you yeah. spoke about Jalen Brown a little bit in his lack of ability to sort of uh, handle the ball. You know, being around, you know, and, and being in a system where Greg Popovich is essentially emphasizing, you know, 0.5, 0.5, where, you know, you either have to make a move and take a shot or you have to move the ball. Um, do you think that this is going to benefit them in a, in a really sort of positive 
the Sens heading into next season? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say it would super, super benefit them. How much a Team USA experience actually helps in kind of its laid-back atmosphere and then playing against countries with much lesser basketball programs has always kind of been a little bit of a point of emphasis against for me. And I think USA experience actually kind of has no effect on NBA playing. Popovich coaching, I think, will help. And I think the guys being together can help a lot. I think Tatum has kind of shown that he's a really well-liked dude in terms of how he's able to help recruit Kemba. And just playing basketball instead of chilling on the beach in the summertime is a good thing. But um, I wouldn't jump to say a concrete, yeah, like this is really going to help all of these guys ball out for this upcoming season. Yeah, I think like you kind of hinted at, Gus, it helps more from a chemistry perspective than it yeah. does from an actual on-the-court perspective. So uh, obviously it's going to be interesting. Do you think Ojale and uh, is going to get more minutes this year? And do you think Grant Williams is going to see minutes as a rookie? Yeah, I think those two are going to have a fight for who gets those minutes. Um, I wanted Semi to take more of a jump than he did last year, and it was a little disappointing that he didn't. He can still come in and play really good defense, but what I saw out of Williams in the summer league, just in terms of his, about, his ability to handle the ball and make plays, kind of really outclassed anything Ojale has done so far in the Celtics. And yes, it's summer league, the talent isn't as good, but I'm really excited about Williams. And I think out of all our, out of all our rookies, he might have the biggest effect in this upcoming year. And that would be huge, obviously. And semi last year, a lot of people expected the jump. But I think also just having so many guys coming in for a minute, it was hard to find him in the right role and allowing yeah. him to expand his game. But uh, yeah. anything else on forwards before we move to centers? Um, I just think it is the one spot where the Celtics clearly have the Nets beat. Um, and I yeah. want to say that. I want to say that loudly. <laughs> you're, you're never coming back on the show. Well, <laughs> I have a quick question for you guys. Um, with your, do you think as a, a guard can be the best player on the championship winning team, and that your lack of forwards kind of takes away maybe from your championship aspirations before KD comes back? It's a really good question, Gus. And I've said this on a lot of other podcasts, including the outlet. And I personally think no. I think yeah. that you need to have a quality wing or wing-ish player. Um, and I don't think that, you, you know, Kyrie Irving, if he's your best player heading into the next season, the Nets are going to be a championship team. You know, you need to have Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. You need to have LeBron James. Uh, that is the modern NBA, essentially. Um, you need to have a superstar yeah. wing or in, in that sort of realm. Um, I don't think that Kyrie Irving can be the number one sort of guy, but he can be the perfect number two. He's proven that in the past. Yeah. Um, but as a general sort of NBA ethos that I sort of hold, uh, it, it sort of rings true. I think that you need to have a superstar wing. And I mean, maybe, you know, the, the Philadelphia 76ers break the mold uh, with a guy like Joel Embiid. Uh, that, that could really sort of change. And, you know, with Nikola Jokic as well, the, yeah. maybe the big man is the new sort of mold that we have to look towards. But uh, for me, you need to have a superstar wing because the, the game just demands it. Yeah, I think Jack's pretty much spot on here. I think there's a couple outliers. The Sixers could be that. You know, Golden State, before they acquired KD, didn't have that, but they had Andre Iguodala, who was really good and could defend that position. I think the Nets just don't have enough talent there. Even if it wasn't KD and it was some other guy, there could be a possibility if he was a really good small forward, like a top five type player. But without that, I think you can't really make that championship run. So it's going to be important for a lot of the other guys to make a jump this year, but I don't think they'll be able to jump high enough to that level. Yeah, I think I totally agree with everything you, you guys just said. Moving on to the center spot, we got on the net side, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, and Nick Claxton. Who we got on Boston side? We've got Robert Williams, Ennis Cantor, and Taco Fall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Thursday, so it's not necessarily Taco Day. Um, but if we were recording this on a different day, maybe it would be. Um, I think that the Nets have 
not necessarily actually yeah, a pretty clear advantage here because, you know, DeAndre Jordan, you could make an argument uh, for him being even better than Enos Cantor. Uh, Jared Allen uh, as well, I think. You know, despite the fact that um, Enos Cantor seems to have his lunch pretty consistently, uh, dating back to some of his Knicks days, uh, we don't know necessarily what the Time Lord is yet. Uh, and Nick Claxton, obviously a rookie as well, how much time he'll get. Uh, but I think that ranking... I'll get you guys to sort of rank them. Um, Gus, how would you rank the, the three best uh, centers here with Enos Cantor, DeAndre Jordan, and Jared Allen? I think I would give it a focused DeAndre Jordan, that top spot. And then Jared Allen. And then Robert Williams. I'm going to throw Robert Williams in ahead of Cancer because I hate Ennis Cancer. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think that's that. a fair hate. I, I would, like, understand why someone would dislike Ennis Cantor because I can find him really annoying. Like, he does some really good things off the court. Don't get me wrong. But he does some things that are just, like, really annoying. And he tries to be, like, that funny kid in class. And he's not. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dislike really stems from his basketball playing. and. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just uh, hating on a personal level. Uh, yeah, you know, but I, I appreciate that. Did, did his run in Portland, that sort of really late season run, endear you at all um, to him, Gus? Obviously, he played probably the best defense that he's ever played. It was incredibly tough, obviously, playing through that shoulder injury. Does that give you any semblance of hope for him uh, in a Boston Celtics uniform? Yeah, it gave me a semblance because he did put in really good minutes for a winning team. But the thing with Ennis Cancer always has been that if you watch him on TV, he passes that test and he scores points and he gets offensive boards. But as soon as you dive into the numbers, it takes a cliff jump. And I did an article on Ennis Cancer for Off the Glass, and you actually see that when he's on the court, his team's offense falls drastically, even as much as his defense. So he's not actually giving you that, like, off-the-bench scoring bonus. Um, if he can kind of bottle this, what he did in Portland in the playoffs, then maybe. But I, over the course of 82 games, I'm just I'm not confident about Ennis Cantor's ability to be our starting center. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing you look at instantly is the pick-and-roll defense, and that's what gets scary, especially if you have a guy that can, like, pick and pop. It's just, like, Cantor's not coming out of the paint. And if he does, he's just not mobile at all. So it seems like it's a lot of pressure for Robert Williams to kind of step up. And I almost like Daniel Tice a little bit than Ennis Cantor yeah. in certain situations. Could at least Tice can move. Yeah, I'm a big Daniel Tice fan. I think he puts in good minutes almost all the time he plays. Could you see him being their best option at center in, like, closing lineups this season? Yeah, I do. I mean, a lot – I think for both of our teams, our, our center position has the most uncertainty around it where mm -hmm. some people can really step up or really just take a step back. Um, I think Robert Williams would get that chance, and maybe he does have a breakout year. But I would be – I'm going to be more confident with Daniel Tice closing out games, especially in the beginning of the season. I think that's a good call by you. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen some good stuff from him, obviously, towards ACL, I think, two seasons ago. So it's another year for him to kind of recover and get back in shape. But uh, I'm obviously going to agree with Jack, and let's give the Nets the edge here. And the biggest intrigue for the Nets is, like, what is Jared Allen this season? And is DeAndre Jordan going to be focused kind of like Gus hinted at? Yeah. Any other thoughts on the center spot, guys? Yeah, I think that this area is where the, the Nets sort of have that sort of pretty clear advantage. But, you know, with the center position, you essentially want the sort of guy who can protect the rim a little bit, finish some lobs. You don't necessarily need to have Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. Um, but there's a lot of weaknesses, as Gus sort of outlined, within his cancer and the sort of real lack of a sort of really starting quality center that can provide that rim protection and sort of stalwartness that you need uh, to sort of hold the fort down there. Yeah, and I think that what that's going to lead to is Brad Stevens putting out a lot of interesting lineups, and that's kind of a perfect segue because we're going to do coach versus coach, Kenny Atkinson versus Brad Stevens. Uh, it's Brad Stevens right now. Um, and I think that just because, you know, we've seen him prove it to an extent, 
you know, I think last year was a bit of an aberration. You know, obviously there was, you know, whose fault was the the lack of success? Was it Kyrie? Was it the players? Was it Brad Stevens? Was it Danny Ainge? I think they all deserve a, a, a modicum of uh, of blame there. And, and Brad Stevens has, has said himself that he deserves a, a large brunt of it. So um, I think that Brad Stevens is a better coach. He's proven that he can coach quality role players. He obviously has trouble to an extent, you know, just purely because of what happened last season when it comes to uh, managing the superstar ego personalities of a guy like Kyrie Irving. But, you know, you plug in a guy like Kemba Walker who seems incredibly low maintenance uh, in comparison. And I'm not saying I, w- I would rather have Kemba Walker over Kyrie Irving, but I think that within Brad Stevens' system, uh, he's going to fit perfectly. Uh, and I think that he's going to have a lot of success there too. Not to say that Kenny Atkinson isn't a great coach. Uh, and I think that if he can prove that he can get the best out of Kyrie Irving for uh, 82 games, games or for however long he's out there on the floor that he might uh, be able to uh, overtake him and these teams are going to be pretty close to the standings as well so um, I think it's a, it's a really close battle right now but I think Brad Stevens has him on the X's and O's but these guys are almost uh, they have different sort of philosophies and how they value and, and, and what they sort of like to put it in terms of the product on, the, on both ends of the floor yeah, I mean, to add on to that, I think both are really good coaches, some of the top tier in the NBA. I think Brad Stevens has more experience. He's taken a team to the Eastern Conference Finals, almost won it. What he did scheme-wise with Isaiah Thomas, making him an all-NBA player, was wild in and of itself. Um, and his out-of-timeout plays are the things that make me the happiest every Celtics game. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think Kenny's he's just going to have to prove it this year, that he can take good players with more of a spotlight and win some playoff games. Um, and we, only time will tell on that front. Yeah, you guys pretty much nailed it. And I think another interesting thing here is their personalities are so different in terms of like how they coach as people. So another thing to keep on, but you guys nailed it with Stevens being the better coach now and Atkinson having a major test this year. But uh, chemistry for each team, how would they compare? Yeah, I mean, the the chemistry issue, um, if we were talking about the last year's Boston Celtics, we certainly would have known about it. Uh, but I think that, you know, we, we touched on the Team USA aspect and Gus made note of the fact that that will really add and, and really impact their chemistry in a positive sort of manner. Uh, obviously, you know, on, on the other end of the scale, the, the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Owings have been organizing plenty of hangout sessions, heading to some nice restaurants in LA after their workouts. So I think that the, the budding chemistry is certainly going to be a thing there. But when it comes to the regular season and the, the dredges of January and March and uh, which team is going to be probably have the better chemistry. I think under Brad Stevens in this probably, you know, low. At the same time, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, these are guys that are going to be wanting to get their own and make their names in this league. Jalen Brown looking for a big contract. Jason Tatum looking to reestablish himself as a, as a young star on the rise and a possible all-star. You know, I think that there's... There's areas of, of chemistry here that could impact negatively on both teams. I think that you take Kyrie Irving as that sort of number one guy in terms of chemistry issues, um, but it's not to say that the Boston Celtics may not have some issues of their own. Yeah, I mean, for both our squads, we lost our best players. So, And then we brought in superstars to an extent. So chemistry-wise, yeah. it's a very strange place for both of us. Um, I think our biggest loss chemistry-wise is Al Horford leaving, who anchored our defense and was the best man in the world. Um, (laughs) Team USA-wise, I do think it is hugely important that Kemba's there, specifically, and that Kemba is getting time with Jason and Jalen and Marcus. Um, And that will help more than those three uh, players that have been with the Celtics for a few years really need that time. Um, But yeah, I think it also depends a lot on wins and losses in the beginning of the season. Um, Everything's easier when you're winning. And if for any other reason that our teams start out slow, I think those chemistry issues will pop up 
real quick. Yeah, I think for both teams, like pretty much summing up what you guys said, it's just unknown. Like we really don't know what to expect. It's a lot of new pieces coming in. There's possibilities for going good, possibilities for going bad. But comparing the offenses, who would have the edge? Um, offenses, oh, I, I think you look at the offensive talent overall. I think that the Brooklyn Nets, you know, I think if you have Kyrie Irving, you know, and Spencer Dinwiddie, I think that you've got some really good offensive players. Um, I think that the Nets may be at the slight edge. Um, but I think that coaching-wise, I think Brad Stevens can instill a really positive offensive scheme that could quite easily uh, make the Boston Celtics a, a better offensive team when it comes to, to the ratings and such because the Nets never re- have fared well when it comes to you know offensive and defensive ratings. And I think that they really need to make a, a step up this season with Coach Kenny and now with the talent on their roster. And you know hopefully things can all gel well together with the new additions and, and the guys coming back from last season. But you know I think the Celtics will be a, a good offensive team. I think the Nets will be a good offensive team. Um, I think that these teams will probably be around that sort of of you know 10 to 18 sort of range when it comes to uh the, the offensive rating um but when we get to defense i think that's where it's almost a, a little bit clearer yeah um i'm not, i'm going to argue for the celtics here um under the pretense that i think a lot of pressure is going to get put on Karis Levert this season and he's obviously showed fantastic stretches before but I'm kind of seeing a mirroring of what happened last year with Jason Tatum, where in the first game of the season, the announcer has compared Tatum to Kobe Bryant 12 times. And <laughs> people, people kind of kinged him before, it was, uh, before I think he earned that. And I think even with Off the Glass, we put up a poll a few days ago where best backcourt in the league, Kyrie and Karras, and then compared to guys like Conley and Donovan Mitchell and uh, Dame and McCollum. And I'm just worried that Karras is not going to be this shining light of a Nets offensive talent. And then if you take Levert's buckets out of that starting lineup, I think the Nets might actually come to struggle offensively a little more than what people are uh, are guessing. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely never having Gus back on talking about Karras <laughs> <Kyrie> Levert. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you know what? I, I can see that's a fair argument. There, I think there's a lot of concern about how is the Kyrie and Karis Levert duo going to work. I think one positive is they've been hanging out a lot. I'm a big believer in what Karis can do. The jump shot is going to be a major factor. I like Kenny's scheme and what they can do, and I feel like they've gotten some better three-point shooters. Obviously, Joe Harris is an excellent three-point shooter. Bringing in Torian Prince, I think, a little bit underrated. And then just some of the other guys in the roster can provide offensive versatility, where in the past, Kenny only had so many lineups he could really throw out that didn't have major weaknesses. So I'll be intrigued with that. And I think the fact is, the where you could say the offenses is maybe a tie in terms of like the starting lineups offensively, but then you look at the bench, and I don't think the Celtics have a bench player that can score like Spencer Dinwiddie can. Yeah, I mean, unless Carson Edwards is just that guy coming, <laughs> coming out of college, um, which hey. he could be, which he could be. But it's coming. I mean, Alonzo Trier was really good as a rookie scorer yeah. last year. He's on the Knicks, sure. but um, I mean, I think that's where the Nets have the edge. I think starting lineup wise, offensively, and then even Jack made the point. Brad Stevens might be able to scheme things up better offensively, but <clears throat> excuse me, I think the Nets bench unit can give them some good offense. Yeah. Now, but who would you rather in in that sort of sense? You know, obviously you make a good point, Nick, about the 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 bench steps and guys being able to hit some shots there and and, and create their own offense, but. Um, I think that the Celtics have a very, very slight edge, um, but getting to the defense, I think this is where things are a little bit clearer for me anyway. Yeah, well, Jack led us right to a defense versus defense. Uh, I think this is the Boston Celtics. Um, I think that 
They have a better defensive scheme under Brad Stevens. I think the loss of Al Horford, you know, um, Gus made a point of it in terms of chemistry. I think it impacts them even more defensively yeah. more than anything when it comes to that. I agree with that. Um, you know, I think you can make even an argument about Al Horford and his offense, you know, um, in terms of the ability to hit the three ball, the ability to pass the ball. Um, he is one of the most well-rounded big men uh, in the league right now. Uh, but defensively, you know, the Boston Celtics have a lot of good wing defenders and Marcus Smart is probably quite clearly the best defender out of everyone on, on these teams. Uh, I think that Brad Stevens' coaching is going to be enough to make the Boston Celtics a little bit better of a defensive team. But, you know, don't discount the fact that Kyle Skoburg could take a jump if DeAndre Jordan is re-engaged uh, and Torian Prince uh, decides to actually make some, some effort on that end of the floor uh, that he hasn't really shown in the past. And Spencer Dimity shows some consistency in that area too because, you know, Kyrie Irving was a, a decent defender under Brad Stevens. And I think that shows you a guy who doesn't have a defensive reputation at all. Um, it shows you what he can do. And, you know, I think Kemba Walker's lack of size and probably isn't as athletic as a, as a guy like Kyrie Irving. But I think the Celtics have enough guys in Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Daniel Tice, uh, and even Robert Williams or Grant Williams that can give them some more defensive talent. Yeah, um, I think I'm pretty much on the same page there. Stevens has shown that he can scheme defensively. The Celtics almost have always finished in the top 10 defensive efficiency and rating. Um, the question if Kemba Walker is, is going to be that much worse a defender than Kyrie Irving, I don't think is going to be the case. And Irving showed that he could play some good defense. Marcus Smart always locks up. Um, and then the combination of just all the forwards we have that are kind of these 6'8", 6'9", athletic guys, and that's, that's kind of what you want to see in a good defensive team. And then hoping, I mean, Robert Williams can block shots. Jared Allen can block shots. I feel like they kind of do similar things defensively with Jared Allen being a little farther ahead. Um, so, yeah, I think the Celtics by a little bit, but not by a ton. I think the Nets are a, a deceptively good defensive team. Yeah, I think you guys are right spot on here. You know, the Celtics definitely have an edge, and especially on that perimeter defense with the guys you guys all mentioned. And I think the only thing you can make a mention for the Nets would just be inside, would be Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan's just a better pairing defensively inside than what the Celtics have. But all the other things point to Boston. Now, who's going to have a better season? So we just discussed this on, sorry to cut in, Gus, we literally just discussed this on the uh, NBA outlet, and I have oh. the Boston Celtics higher, but... I also do think um, that the Celtics and Nets are going to be vying for that third position. I think that that is their ceiling um, on paper. I think the Celtics maybe have a little bit higher of a floor than the Nets do. Um, but I think that both of these teams' ceiling is around you know, 52, 53 wins. Uh, and their floor is probably around that sort of 45 range. You know, the Nets may be a little bit lower because there's a bit of compostability issues. And you know, if Kyrie Irving isn't healthy... Uh, and Kevin Durant doesn't get back. But I think that the Celtics will have a slightly better season, uh, but they certainly will be toing and throwing throughout. And I think that there is a, every chance that the Brooklyn Nets could. Yeah, um, I wish I had a different take on this, but I almost fully agree. I think the Sixers-Bucks Sixers will finish 1-2, and the Celtics and Nets will vie for that 3-4. and four. Um, It will come down to things like whether or not Jason Tatum makes that step to a superstar, whether or not Karis LeVert can be that guy. Is, is, are we, are we going to get enough scoring off the bench? Um, but I think we'll be close. I think we'll be back and forth throughout the whole season. I think when we play each other, there'll obviously be great, great games, even without the whole Kyrie um, narrative. Um, so I'm excited to kind of watch uh, both our squads duke it out um, throughout this next season. 
Yeah, I just got to be different. I'll give the Nets a slight edge here. <laughs> uh, and, like, you guys are right, though. It's really close, and these teams will be battling now. And I could say, you know, the Celtics might be better to start the season, but maybe the Nets could be better by the end of the season, just the way players have developed there. But like Gus mentioned, it's going to be like Jason Tatum taking that step, Jalen Brown taking a step, it's Karis LeVert taking a step, it's Jared Allen taking a step. You know, what team faces bigger injuries, things along those lines. So I think it's extremely yeah. close. But uh, who wins a seven-game series? Oh, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Gus, I'm saying go. I'm saying the Celtics win the series off the back of our defense. I think scoring goes down. We'll hold you guys to like 90, 95 points for three out of the four games, um, and we get and Kemba Walker wanting to win in the playoffs and being hungry and not have been given and not having to lose in the first round with a Charlotte Hornets team against a LeBron James Miami Heat team, and. I don't know. And then Kyrie Irving. I think Kyrie Irving is going to – his mindset without KD this year, I would be pretty worried – not pretty worried, but relatively worried as a Nets fan that he's not going to full lock in this year. And he's going to kind of wait for KD to come back, and then he'll be like, I'm going to win a chip. But he might submit himself to the fact that thinking of without KD, they're not going to do it. And it just comes down to want when, like we said, these teams are too close, and I'm giving it to the Celtics. Yeah, I, I agree with most of your take there, guys. I think that the Celtics, and, and I think also given the history um, of these teams when it comes to playoffs, and especially recent history, you know, Brad Stevens was able to drag a team without Kyrie Irving to, you know, the, the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and that was a, a much, maybe probably, you know, a similar sort of team on paper in terms of talent, uh, but certainly subpar in terms of experience. Um, but I, I disagree with the Kyrie Irving sort of take. I think that he will be incredibly engaged because... Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think he's going to want to prove a lot of people wrong. And I think that it's going to fuel the fire for him a lot. He's a different sort of dude. Um, and I think that there will be areas where, you know, he'll have great months here and there, and he might have a bad game uh, here or there as well. Uh, but I put a hot take out there that I think that he's going to be a legit MVP contender. It's going to come down to consistency and health when it comes to that. Uh, but I think that when it comes to seven-game series, I think the Celtics probably have the edge because of defense, like you said, Gus, and coaching. Uh, but the Nets need to make a, a, a mark in the postseason. Uh, and it'd be pretty fun if it was against the Boston Celtics. Yeah. yeah. First off, I'd say that I actually kind of hope this playoff series does happen. Oh, as man. like a 4-5 a or a 3-6. Like, I think that'd be incredible. I'm going to go with the Nets here because I, usually you go with best player in the series. And Kyrie's the best player in the series. And I, I that's a really good point by Gus about Kemba wanting to win and not being on the Hornets and actually having a good team. But also I have a hard time seeing Kyrie lose to a Boston team that just talk trash about him for like months. You know, maybe not the players, but the media and the whole organization that dislike. And I think he has something to go out to prove. And I just like really am big on the player development for the Nets, and I'm just expecting guys to take a jump. So I just expect them to be a lot better team by the time the postseason starts than where they start the season. And if we're talking actual playoffs, I really do think there's a possibility we could see Kevin Durant this season. That's probably just one discerning factor when it comes to teams that we've spoken about. You know, the Sixers are obviously, you know, far and ahead when it comes to the Atlantic Division teams. But when it comes to the Raptors and the Celtics, two teams that are so close on paper, you know, you add Kevin Durant for a playoff series, let alone, you know, just, you know, the the, the end of the season, uh, it really gives the edge. And obviously, what version of Kevin Durant is it? Um, you know, Kevin Durant, if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you have two of the three best players uh, out of the entire series. And yes, Jason Tatum will take a jump, as will Jalen Brown. Uh, and, you know, we could see uh, the best version of Gordon Hayward we've seen in, in a few seasons too. But uh, Kevin Durant just changes the entire landscape for the Brooklyn Nets team and the Atlantic division overall. Yeah, I will not argue with KD coming back 
changing changing the whole setup. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think if you guys have KD, you guys are the best team in the league. I think you guys are better than the Clippers and the Lakers. He's Whoa! back every week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, now taking my co-host back to Australia because I can't compete with that. Well, yeah, I'll stand by it. <laughs> hey, I mean, I think it's a fair take because you look at the Nets team construction and adding a player like Kevin Durant, they're already a really good team without him. So adding just one of the best to ever do it would be huge for them. But obviously that's for another day. Ranking the top five players between these two teams, we're going to exclude Kevin Durant, obviously, because he's injured. Yeah. Um, so my top five would be a, a Kyrie at one, a Kemba at two, a Jason Tatum at three, a Dinwiddie at four, and then I'm doing a Jalen Brown slash Karis Revlert at five. Because well, I like the cop out. <laughs> full, full cop out. I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Um, I'll go very, very similar. I'll go Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker. Uh, I'll go Jason Tatum. I'll go Karis Levert number four and Jalen Brown number five. But um, only because I just don't know what Gordon Hayward is. And, and, and I mean, yeah. Gus, I'll ask you, I asked Corey uh, about Victor Oladipo because, you know, he's following him on Instagram. He's obviously a keen follower of him. What have we seen uh, in terms of Instagram posts and, you know, anything that's happening with Gordon Hayward? Uh, what does he look like? What are your opinions of him? What, what's the sort of word about Gordon Hayward heading into the 1920 season? Yeah, I mean, the joke in Celtics Twitter world is that there's been no footage of Gordon Hayward playing <laughs> basketball. And finally, a few days ago, there was that video of him, like, playing with kids and stuff. Um, I don't mind that. Like, I don't need like, – I don't put too much uh, – too much – energy or truth into seeing I don't, I'm missing the word there but Gosh. these work these offseason workout videos is never what is going to tell me what, what the player is going to look like um, in the regular season and yeah Gordon Haywood hasn't been grinding out on the gram in the gym getting up jump shots and all that but that's not really what it's about and the question just comes down to whether or not he's been taking care of his body and really working for that strength because um, I think when the strength comes back when he fully believes in himself being strong enough in those legs that the mental thing will go away and I mean, if you go back and look at those highlights of Hayward as Jazz All-Star, it's stupid. And it, it brings the Celtics to a whole other level of team, I think. Maybe to the top of the Eastern Conference Yeah, if, if, he's, if he's really balling at full, full, full form. Yeah, and I think that's just going to be a huge factor for them. And then not even just this season, but moving forward with that contract, like where's Gordon Hayward at? Yeah. And just to give my list quickly, pretty similar to uh, Jack and yours, uh, Kyrie, Kemba, Tatum, Karis LeVert, Jalen Brown, and then I'll do a slight cop-out slash Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, any other topics you guys want to catch, uh, talk about Net Celtics-wise? I'll throw this one at Gus because um, it's, vo- it's from, you know, Bill Simmons and um, I'll throw oh. this quote to both of you guys because I've got so many people in my mentions, it's gone crazy um on the most recent bill simmons pod uh, brian windhorst said that he was not in love with the nets and bill simmons you know responded with a bit of a chuckle he said me neither Kyrie, go look at that buck series i don't know why he got a free pass for that well that was one of the worst performances in the history of boston sports was it that bad gus it was really bad but what I would say to that is I'm not a huge fan of Bill Simmons, and I'm not a huge fan of Bill Simmons for exactly what he just said there. Because I can bet you Bill Simmons did not watch more than 20 Celtics games through, and he did not watch the, <laughs> he did not watch the whole season. And for as much talk as there was about how Kyrie Irving was this huge hindrance to chemistry and play, if you watch every game every night, Kyrie was balling. Kyrie was bringing it. There was no problem on the floor. 
yeah, he had a tough season against a tough series against a really good Milwaukee team. But if you're going to lock in to four, a little full four game uh, pocket, then it's just it's it's being irresponsible with your with your hot takes. So no, I don't think too much should be a thought with the Milwaukee series. And I just got a question for you too, Gus. Like I yeah. watched obviously the Milwaukee series. I didn't watch it as in depth, but. Do you think like one reason Kyrie really struggled is because of the lack of other playmakers on yeah. Boston? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Milwaukee was a better team. First of all, you're going to struggle when you're going against two rosters that are not as good as each other. Um, and then scoring the ball. I mean, Terry Rozier has been talking. Everyone's been talking about him and all that. Terry Rozier averaged like nine points last year. He was yeah. not scoring the ball. He got. I, I mean, he played. He, he would show stints of playing really well, and he played better the season before that. But I mean, combine that with Marcus Smart kind of being hurt throughout that. Jason Tatum just really being off. I mean, Jalen Brown outplayed Tatum throughout all of last year's playoffs. Tatum had a few games where I think he scored like four, like six points. Nobody was making threes. So Kyrie starts taking kind of these chuck shots that he has to do. Um, and Milwaukee just overpowered him. And then fatigue sets in. The fact that you're down 3-1 sets in. And so, yeah, there were a lot of different factors going against Kyrie. And also, touching on what we've talked about, he's a point guard. He's, he's 6'2". He's 6'1". Um, I think it's a lot easier for someone who's 6'8 and looks like LeBron James to kind of – you can shrug off a bad shooting game by just getting into the hoop and bullying. But um, when you're a guard, you can't do that. And I think that's part of the reason why you don't see uh, championship-winning teams with best players, 6'2", 6'3", point guards. Yeah, especially when you can just lock them down and you can put a bigger guy on them. It just really makes his life difficult. But, Jack, yeah. any other questions you want to throw out there? No, um, I, I think Gus did pretty damn well on, a, on his first Brooklyn buzz and – uh, when there's some Celtics matchups throughout the season, we'll definitely have to get you back on, homie. Thank you, man. I had a great time, and I appreciate you saying I did a good job. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, oh, pleasure having Gus on, except when he says negative things about Karis LeVert. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a Karis LeVert hater. <laughs> he said that the Nets are the best team in the NBA. I think that makes up for it, despite yeah. the fact that you're irrational. Oh, it's, pretty, it's pretty rational love for Karis LeVert. It's like me and Joe Harris. Again, we didn't have much Joe Harris talking. Yeah, we you didn't know, talk about Joe Harris. He, I, we, I love Joe Harris. Good. We need we need to turn this into some weird crossover Brooklyn Buzz Celtics. Oh, no, actually, probably not the best idea. But we'll have you back on, Gus. We'll be back. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Gus, great having you on. And obviously, big thanks to everybody who's taking listen to the show on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, TGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, or NetsRepublic.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.